Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, he said, Now you see this Jesus that God has made this Christ, whom you crucified, both Savior and Lord. And I felt like he showed me that regret is not believing that he's dealt with my past. It's not seeing him as Savior. But anxiety is not believing that he's dealt with my future. And that's not seeing him as Lord. And he's both Savior and Lord. He's both dealt with our past and he is in our future. He's not just the Savior of your past. He's the Lord of your future. And if you're suffering right now with regret, it's because you're seeing your past apart from the blood of Jesus. And if you're dealing with anxiety, it's because you're looking at your future apart from the presence of Jesus. And neither of those is for you. You're not called to carry regret or anxiety because He made Him Savior to cover your regret and He made Him Lord to deal with any anxiety. So I just want to ask right now, and I feel like lately we've been doing this a lot, but I just I know if He's speaking this, it's not because there's nobody in here that's dealing with it at all. If you're dealing right now at all with either regret or anxiety, either of those two things, if you struggle with regret, and I'm not just talking about, man, I feel bad that that happened. I'm talking about demonic regret, which is you constantly reliving and estimating your value today based on your mistake of yesterday. And you live in a state of regret. If that's you, would you just stand up where you are so we can pray? Yeah. Why, you know, let's do this. We don't do this all the time. Why don't you just come up front because I really want to pray with each of you. I do. I want each of you to be, I, I just feel like there's something in stepping forward. You know, there's, there's, it's not like some spiritual thing where you come to an altar, except maybe it is when you're actually posturing your heart and saying, God, I want to come after this. So if that's you, yeah, just line up right here across the front. Let's go single file. That way we know who's getting prayed for and who's being prayed, uh, who's praying. And I just want to tell you today, like regret, it has no part in you at all because Jesus shed his blood and thought it was worth it to cover everything that has been. Every single thing. And God said that, he said, I am the Lord their God, it is I, even I, who will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And if he doesn't think it's worth remembering, then neither should we. If he thought your sin was worth forgetting, then I bet we should too. If he said that it, he would forget it and remember it no more, it's because he wants you to forget it and remember it no more. You are never meant to live another day with regret in your life because he shed his blood so that you would never have to. It cost him a lot to set you free. A lot. He actually shed his own blood so that you could be free from the lie of regret. Now, are there some things that we wish we could change? Yeah, absolutely. You know what the truth is? All we can do is going forward, make sure that we're set free from whatever it is that caused that and live to crush and hold up the head of that giant every single day. So God, I just right now, I pray for each person that's standing here. God, that they would see you as Savior. God, that you came to save and redeem. God, that you make all things new. 
God, that these people that stand here are not a fixed-up version of the people they are. They were. They are a new creation in Christ. They are so far removed from that thing that they regret. As far as the east is from the west, God, and I thank you for that, God. And I just ask right now that your peace would come, God, that they would know you in this moment as Savior, God, that they would know that you shed your blood to redeem them and forgive them of their past. God, that You're no longer dealing with us according to our past because it's covered by the blood of Jesus. And I thank You, God, right now that the realization of just how complete that redemption is would settle into our hearts. We are completely forgiven, completely redeemed, completely set free, God. That that would right now take root in Jesus' name. That Your peace would come, God. I pray right now, right this instant, that whatever it is that we are holding on to that has a hold of us, God, that we would let it go and see it lost in the sea of forgetfulness, carried away by the blood of Jesus, as far as the east is from the west, and never to be remembered again. God, I thank You for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He died for that. His blood was shed so that You would never again have to live in regret so that you could look forward only into a future full of Him. If you struggle with anxiety, and maybe some of the same people, that's okay. But if you struggle with anxiety, if you look to the future and you see things and you're anxious because you're not seeing Him there, and you're fearful and it causes you to actually live less than the life that He died for you to live because of what you see possibly in the future, if you see your future in any way that causes anxiety and not hopeful and joyful, I want you to just stand up where you are. If when you look to the future, you see anxiety and you're anxious, yeah, that's cool because you know what? A lot of times people with regret have a lot of anxiety because they believe that who they were is who they're going to be. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Who you were is not who you're going to be. Who He said you are is who you will be if you would just believe it and actually step into it. So if that's you, come forward real quick. We just want to pray with you guys too. Who you were is not who you will be. I promise you, if you're born again and you're covered by His blood. It's not a sentence on your life. It's not a punishment that you carry. It's not your cross to carry that I guess I'll always be this way. No, it was His cross to carry so that you didn't have to always be that way. Listen to me, I want you to hear that. It's not your cross to carry that I'm always going to be this way. It was His cross to carry so that you don't have to always be that way. And He actually died so that you could be different. So that you could be born again. A new creation. And when you look to the future, do not picture the man who was. Picture the man who is. Who God said you are. When you see yourself in the future, you cannot see yourself apart from the blood of Jesus because it's a lie. You cannot see yourself as the one who did the things that you did. You can't see yourself as the one who's there apart from Him. He is with you. He said He'd never leave you. He'd never forsake you. And you will never again be the person that you were because He's changed you from the inside out. Completely redeemed. Set free. You're born again. When you look to the future, see Him. In every circumstance, there's not one moment that His blood was not shed for there's not one moment that's meant to be lived apart from that. So God, I just thank You right now. God, that as we look into the future, we see You. 
God, that we expect goodness and joy and peace and kindness. God, that we expect everything that you are because our future is so full of you. And God, I pray that there would not be one lie that would be caused saying who you were is who you will always be. We break that right now in Jesus' name and crush that lie. That you did not die for us to live a frustrated life of repeated habits of behavior, patterns of of thought, but you came and gave your life so that we could take on your life and live as you are, God. Those who are in Christ as he is, so are we also in this world. As he is, so are we also in this world. Not as he was, he became sin. That's what he was. It's as he is, glorified, sanctified, rectified, sitting at the hand of the Father, redeemed, completely new, perfect, holy. The word says, don't you know that the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. A temple for his Holy Spirit, a dwelling place for God on this earth. And I just thank you right now, God, that as we look into our future, we have an expectation of your goodness and your mercy. We have an expectation that you will work all things for our good because we love you and are called according to your purpose. And we see ourselves apart from who we were, and we see ourselves completely in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 No anxiety. No anxiety. No worry. If He called us to not be anxious, that means there's a place of living in Him where anxiety can't live. It means that the presence of Jesus starves anxiety. It suffocates it. It destroys it. They cannot exist together. You were not, listen to me, you were not made to fear your future because of your past. You were made to look to your future full of Him and confident that as you go, He goes with you. And that you're no longer the person who was, that you're a new creation, that all things, that all things have passed away and everything has been made new. And that you're living born again. It's like you're living for the first time. And when you encounter situations that you used to encounter in the past, your response will be different because you're different. That the Spirit of the living God is inside of you, leading and guiding you into all truth. There's no anxiety for you. There's an expectation of goodness. There's an anticipation that we will see His promises. We will see what He spoke come to pass in our lives. And His will be done on this earth as it is in heaven in our lives and in the lives of those around us because we carry the presence of God every single place that we go and we're never apart from it, ever. If he said he'd never leave you or forsake you, he meant it. And he never will. God, I just ask that you would seal that in our hearts right now, God. That there would be no regret and no anxiety. There would be perfect peace. God, that even if things in our past have caused consequences that we see in our future, God. We don't see them apart from You. And we know that we can face them, God, full on, confident in expecting that You're with us and that You're working everything for our good. Even the things that the enemy meant for evil, You're working to our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've got to see Him as Savior and Lord. You have to. You can't just see Him as Savior. 
You have to see Him as Savior and Lord. It's not just Jesus dead on a cross. It's Jesus resurrected to newness of life and He's in Lordship over our lives. His blood on the cross saves us from our sins, but His life lived and the life that He lives now, He lives for all. He ever lives to make intercession on our behalf before the Father. He's Lord. Lord means He's Master. It means He's Master. It means our lives no longer belong to us. They've been bought with a price and they belong to Him. That's good news. That's really good news. How are you guys? Yeah? You're doing awesome. You are. Sometimes we have to discover how good we're doing. Um, and that's okay. Like, it's not about being fake. It's not about being like, I'm awesome. It's about saying, God, I don't feel awesome, but I know that I'm born again. I know that I'm in you. So there's something I'm not seeing or something I am seeing that's not true that's making me feel less than what you have. That's what this Christian life looks like. It's not denying just for the sake of denying. That's lying. You got a cut on your arm. No, I don't. There's blood's dripping on the ground. Yeah, I do. I wonder how that got there. And there's probably something that can be done to keep that from happening again. God, I don't feel great in this moment, so what am I not seeing or believing that's true? Or what have I believed that is not true that makes me feel that way? And then when we see the truth, the truth comes and sets us free. And we realize that we really are doing great. We just believe something that wasn't true and we let that dictate the way that we feel rather than letting what's true dictate the way that we feel. I'm telling you, you can live that way. It's not fake, it's not robotic. Man, you feel everything, but you determine which feelings are actually from Him and which are a lie and a trap from the enemy sent to make you in a tailspin and put you down the wrong path. I'm telling you. You can live there. You can actually live where you wake up every day and you know that it doesn't matter what happens in the course of that day. Your barometer for how you're doing is not people around you's ability to be the people God created them to be. It's your ability to be who God created you to be. And you are always capable of being that person in every single situation, even when others don't, and especially when others don't. Because if all it takes is one person not being who God created them to be to cause you to not be who God created you to be, we're in trouble. Because the very one who carries the hope of the world, the hope of glory inside of them, the answer to every question has become part of the problem. We have to stand in that place of saying, I have the answer for every single problem I will face today, living and breathing inside of me. And there's nothing that's going to shake that. And if you go out and start your day with that mindset of going, there are no problems that I'm going to encounter today that the answer hasn't been given to me because all things have been given to me for life and godliness according to Jesus. If I actually believe that and I walk that out when I wake up in the morning and not going like in like this, this working like I'm going to go out and prove something in this, I already know it's true. My life will prove it. My life's going to prove it. I'm not trying to make you believe something. I'm living what I actually believe. I'm not doing it to try to convince myself that it's true. I'm doing it because it is true and it's what comes out of me. And if, I doesn't, if that's not what comes out of me, rather than denying it and being like, no, I didn't, no, I, I didn't get angry, I didn't, I didn't get upset, I did not say something that I shouldn't to that person. No, no, that would be lying. 
That would be not being true, and that doesn't help anybody. Saying, you know what, in that moment, I settled for something less than your best, God. Help me to see why. Why did I respond that way? God, what did I not see in that moment? God, open my eyes even wider to your truth. God, let me see them the way that you see them. Let me respond the way that you respond. Because if I can do that, God, then they'll see something they haven't seen before, and it might just change their life because it's the love of the Father on display in my life. That's what the Christian life is. Like That's what the Gospel is. It's that I'm actually changed. But I'm still in this process sometimes of growing into things. I'm going to ruin my sermon by giving one of the end points right now, but I feel like we need to hear this, okay? <laughs> I am. When I get to it later, it's going to be like, woo! You know? <laughs> but listen to me. I was talking to somebody about a situation he was facing in his life and he was going through something. He said, I'm kind of bummed out because I feel like the only reason I'm not offended is because I know I shouldn't be. And he was like beating himself up for that because he's going, it bothers me that the only reason I'm not offended is because I know that I shouldn't be. And I told him, I said, man, you've got to praise God for that. You've got to like thank Him that you're, in the, that you're seeing something that you didn't see and that you're not responding by feelings, but you're choosing truth over your feelings in that moment. Because I promise you, the more you choose truth over feelings, the more your feelings will line up with truth. That's what Christian growth is. It's saying, listen, in this moment, I don't feel like it, but I know there's a truth that says this, so I'm going to choose truth over what I feel until what I feel lines up with truth. That's not being robotic. That's being a Christian. That's saying there's a way that seems right to me, a man. But in the end, that leads to death. And as for God, His ways are perfect. I'm going to choose perfect over feeling until my feeling becomes perfected. And I'm not going to beat myself up over that. I'm actually going to praise Him in that and say, God, I thank You that there was a time I knew nothing else but my feelings. Like a brute beast, I was led about by an instinct inside of me and all I could do was act on instinct. But now truth has come and now I know there's a better way. And God, I thank You that I'm choosing truth even when I don't feel like it. And God, I'm asking You to show me what it is that's making my heart respond that way so that my feelings begin to line up more and more with Your truth but until that day comes i'm going to choose truth over feeling every single time i'm setting a stake in the ground that says this is truth this is my choice this gospel's got to be so real that everyone everything in the world comes against it there's a stake in the ground that says this is truth and everything else says the opposite and everything else is saying one thing and my feelings are screaming something else and good Christians around me are justifying me doing everything else but truth. But I'm going to choose truth and I'm going to stand here in truth and I'm going to say this is the truth. And so I'm not going to be offended by you because I don't want to be offended by you. But even if I wanted to, I won't let myself because I'm not going to settle for less than His best and I'm going to stand here until what I know is true lines up with what I feel. And I'm never going to condemn myself for it. I'm going to thank you for it every moment because what happens is the enemy comes along and he can't get you to get offended. So now he gets you to get mad because you're not offended but the reason that you're not offended. And he starts, no, really, he starts accusing you. Well, if you were really born again, if you really... What is, I mean, it, it's that same voice. It's Jesus in, after the wilderness. 
God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. The heavens light up. Everybody hears the voice. Jesus hears the voice. The devil hears the voice. People hear the voice. And yet the very next words that Jesus hears, the very next words recorded that are spoken to Jesus is this. The enemy came to him while he was in the desert when he was alone and th- thinking him to be weak, tempted him, sought to tempt him and said, if you are the son of God, and then leads him to the temptation. Why? What's he getting him to say? If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What's he saying? If you're really the son of God, why are you hungry? If God let you out, led you out here, you were led by his spirit, why are you hungry? Maybe you're really not the son of God. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't want bread right now. What is it? It, All it is is playing on Jesus' sincerity of following the Father to try to convince Him that He's something He's not so He can get Him to act like someone He isn't. That's all it is. And that's what the enemy does with us. I mean, okay, so you're not acting on it. But I mean, if you were really born again, would you really want to be offended like that? If you really are a son of God... It's the same thing. He's playing on your sincere heart. He's playing on your love for truth. And He's coming to you and He's trying to use that against you and try to convince you that you're someone that you're not so that He can get you to act like something you, haven't, you aren't. That's all it is. See it. Don't take the bait. Don't beat yourself up. I thought I was born again. If I, no, listen, you are born again. That's why you don't want to be offended. Rejoice in that rather than beat yourself up that you have to actually choose truth over a feeling in that moment. Thank God. God, there was a time where I would have launched into offense and all I would have been able to do is be angry, hateful, spiteful, and respond to them the way they responded to me. And God, I thank You that I see a different truth. And God, I thank You that You're leading me and guiding me into all truth. And God, I thank You that even in this moment when something inside me tries to rise up and tell me to take that bait that I'm choosing truth, and I always will. But God also, and here's the important part, what is it that caused that hurt to come? How come? How come my natural response isn't just to be loving and kind? How come that little temptation to be angry is even there? What am I not seeing, God? What lie have I believed? What did I position did I put that person in that you want to be in God that when they stepped out of that position I felt like there was a void rather than seeing you there what part of my life did I entrust to that person to say they will be the provider of this for me that when they left I felt like that would never be provided that I'm not seeing you as my provider in that situation come on we do this We put an expectation on people. That's fine. It's healthy to put healthy expectations on people, but when they don't meet those expectations, we don't have the right to treat them less than Christ-like. Because we gave up that right when we asked Him not to treat us less than loving when we don't meet His expectation of us. We can't have both. We can't stand before Him and say, God, 
I thank you for your grace when I miss it if we're not willing to extend that grace when other people miss it. Because he said, in the measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. Judge not, for by the standard which you judge, it will be judged. What's he saying? Well, the way that I treat people is the way that I'm telling him I want to be treated. The way I respond to people when they do something to me is the way I'm telling him I want to be treated when I do something to him. Trust me, you would way rather walk in grace. Knowing that freely I've received, now freely I'm giving. A lot of it's just an understanding of really what was done for us on the cross. When we understand how much we were forgiven, it's so easy for us to turn around and forgive others. When we understand what it cost Him versus what it's costing us, it seems pretty cheap to offer forgiveness based on that. It cost Him a lot to forgive me. All it cost me is receiving what He died for me to have. And I can easily forgive others. Why? Because he who's been forgiven much forgives much. He who's been, who loves much has been loved much. He who's been forgiven much loves much. Listen, what was Jesus saying to the Pharisees? He wasn't saying, she's been forgiven a lot. You guys are so good, you've only been forgiven a little. That's why you don't love me the way that she does. No, 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 no. He was saying, she understands how much she's been forgiven. That's why she loves me the way that she does. You think you're so good, you don't understand your need for a Savior and for forgiveness. If you did, you'd be at my feet with her rather than accusing her. They said, doesn't he know who this woman is? Think about it. She's been labeled by society as a prostitute, as a dirty, unclean woman. That's what they were saying. If he knew who she was, he would never let her touch him. And Jesus is looking at them and saying, if you knew who you were, you'd be at my feet too. It's not that Jesus didn't know who she was. It's that they didn't know who they were or they would have been right at his feet crying with the woman because they would have understood their need for him and their need for salvation. But because they didn't understand that, they couldn't understand hers. And so they weren't willing to extend to her something because they didn't understand their need for it to be extended to them. I'm glad that only happens with Pharisees and prostitutes. I'm glad that we don't ever find ourselves in a situation where we're not willing to extend to somebody something that's been extended to us. Doesn't he know who she is? Of course he knows who she is. That's why he came and gave his life for her because he saw her not as a prostitute but as the woman at his feet who actually understood what it was to be loved who went and lived her life the way she was created to be lived. He actually knew who she was. He might have been the only one in the room who knew who she was because everybody else thought they knew because of what they saw and because of what she had been and what she had done. And here they are looking at Jesus and saying, if he knew what we knew, what an arrogant place to find ourselves where we're looking at the Son of God in flesh saying if he knew what we knew, certainly he would change his mind. Think of the utter arrogance of coming to God in face of him saying, as it's been freely given to you, now you freely give to others. And the utter arrogance of coming to him and saying, yeah, but God, you don't know what they did to me. As if it compares even a little to what was done to Jesus. 
he knew who she was. He wouldn't let her touch him. Why wouldn't he let her touch him? Because she was unclean, and whatever she touched became unclean, unless she touched the, unless it happened to be the only one who, when you touched, you become clean rather than the other way around. If they knew who he was, they would have been there, and they would have been excited that she was too, because if she's unclean, touching Jesus changes everything. Every one of us was unclean until we touched Jesus. And Jesus is going, she's been forgiven much. That's why she loves so much. It's not saying, like I say, it's not saying you guys like, well, you know, some of you have a lot of things to be forgiven of. The biggies, right? Because if we're not careful, we kind of will get that mentality. Well, I've done this, but I haven't done that. You know, so maybe I accidentally walked a meal over to my neighbors on Sunday, which is on Sabbath, which is considered to be working. And so I did that, and I have to make sacrifice for that, but I've never been a prostitute. All he's saying is, you guys, if you understood your need for what she is getting, you'd be here too. Right here at my feet. And you'd be crying just like she is. And you'd love me just like she does. And you'd receive everything that she's about to. Because only one person left that meal changed. Only one. Jesus was the same. She left changed. Because she encountered the love of God. And understood how much she needed him as Savior. And it brought her to her knees at the feet of Jesus, which is the safest place for anybody to be. And she experienced what it was not to be looked at as a prostitute, not to be looked at as unclean. She understood what it was to be seen with the eyes that see her for who she truly is, not for the mistakes that she's made. And in that moment, I promise you, her heart exploded with joy because for once a man looked at her and saw some value in her other than what every other man had ever seen. And she realized true worth. And it wasn't for anything she could do but receive. Come on, you guys. It's got to be that real to us. I can't even. Right now, I am the little engine that can't even. Y'all. All All right. It said he will wipe away every tear. No, I didn't plan that. As a reminder, we'd like to remind all adults to silence their phones, cameras, and video recorders. But no, for real. He's better than Sports Center or football. 
it's got to be that real to us too, guys, where when we see somebody, we don't see them for their past and their mistakes. We see them for who they were created to be to the point that we understand all they need is to encounter Jesus and everything changes. And he might just want us to be the ones they encounter him through. It's got to be that real. Like, it's got to be life-changing. If it's not life-changing, it's not the gospel. It can be called the gospel. It can be dressed up and paraded around in anything that you want it to. It can be called religion. It can be called all these things. But if it doesn't change our lives, it's not the authentic gospel. Because there's nobody that encountered Jesus and saw Him for who He was that life was not changed. You cannot tell me I've heard and seen Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it didn't do a thing to me. You can't tell me that because it's never happened before. You can see Him as something other than He really is. You can see Him as a good man. You can see Him as a prophet. You can see Him as Elijah or Moses and not be changed because that's what they said. He said to Peter, he said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Moses. Some say you're a prophet. You know, you're a good man. You're a teacher. There was all these things. That's what they said. But who do you say, Peter? Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. Was he saying? And what did he say to him then? And I call you Peter. Not Simon. I call you Peter. What's he saying? Because you saw me for who I am, you're changed. All those other people saw me as all kinds of other things and not as bad things. A lot of those are great things. Elijah was a great prophet. Being a prophet's a good thing. Being a good man is a good thing. But that's not who he is. He's Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when you see him for who he is, you will be changed. All those other people weren't changed. All those other people said, crucify Him. Let His blood be upon us and upon our children. But Peter was changed because he actually saw Him for who He is. That's the Gospel. That's the Gospel. The Gospel is I see Him. I see who He is. I see what He's done. And because of that, I see me. And I see my need for who He is and for all that He's done for me. And I come to His feet crying, wanting just to wash His feet with my tears. Because I understand how much I've been forgiven of, how much I need Him, and how much my life has been changed by this man. And I have to get to Him. I have to be with Him. You don't have to tell me that I should want to be intimate with Him. I have this thing inside of me that says I have to be. Alright. Here's that moment, right? Where I try to see if I should segue into the message that I had prepared or just keep on going down this path. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll make it official with some Scripture. We use a lot of Scripture when we preach here. We do. We don't always point out chapter and verse. But we use a lot of Scripture. And it should always be that way. Always. You don't want to just hear someone's opinions for 45 minutes. 
you want to hear what God has to say and what God has said. And if what they're telling you doesn't line up with what He's spoken, reject it and abandon it. That's why we have to know the Word. That's why it's so important to know the Word of God. Because it says that my sheep hear my voice and know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. What keeps you from following the voice of a stranger? Knowing His voice. How do you know His voice? Well, I know what He sounds like and I know what He's already said. Because people can sound like him, but if they don't know the way he speaks, it's a little different. Someone could call me on the phone with a machine that changes their voice to sound just like Patty's. I'd know in one minute that it wasn't her. In 30 seconds, I'd know that it wasn't her. Because it might sound like her, but it doesn't sound like her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they may be able to imitate her voice, but they don't know our history. They don't know the way that we talk to each other. They don't know the words that we use when we speak to each other. They don't know the, the way it feels when we communicate with each other. And so they may be able to imitate her voice, but they can't sound like her. That's why he said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. We know his voice because we know the way he speaks to us. We know what he's already said and that helps us to predict what he's going to say in the future. And I can always take what he's saying and line it up with what he's already said and I can find it in the word. I'm not saying I can find the exact thing. I'm saying I can find something and say, yep, that lines up with the character and nature of Jesus. That goes along with this verse and when he spoke this, I can see that. Okay, that rings true. That resonates with my spirit got to have something to line it up to something there's got to be parameters know the word listen it says in the word there's a deception coming in the end i'm not a fear doom and gloom preacher this is your first time here listen to the podcast it'll prove them right i don't preach fear and doom and gloom but i am saying the bible makes a very simple promise that there's a strong delusion coming at the end and if it was possible even the very elect would be swept away by it Moses goes to Pharaoh and he takes his rod, he throws it down and it becomes a serpent. Pharaoh's sorcerers say, we can do that. How do you know in that moment if you're standing there trying to determine who you should listen to when there's two people doing the same thing that one person did and only one of them actually is doing what God called them to do and speaking on God's behalf? You go by numbers? Well, there's two people that just turned rods into snakes over here. There's only one over there. If you've got to make a decision in an instant who's speaking truth, how do you know? If you don't have the luxury to watch one serpent devour the other two, if you make your decision in a moment, how do you know? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's more to that verse. I'm going to get into it a little bit later. Says he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How beautiful is that offer from the Father that he didn't act sinful so we could act righteous, that he became sin so that we could become righteous. That's beautiful. What an offer. But it cost us something. It does cost us something. Anyone that's told you like, well, the Gospel doesn't cost you anything. It costs you. Because Jesus said it and He was saying to them all in Luke 9.23, and He was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. 
What's the cost to receive this righteousness? It's me laying down all that I am so that I can receive all that He is. It does cost me something. Now, the price is not worth mentioning when we look at the reward, but there is something that's asked of me in this exchange, and that's that I would deny myself, give up myself, so that I could take on who He is. That's a pretty good deal. Shame, regret, condemnation, sin habits just deny that and take up who i am that's not bad that's not asking a lot that's a pretty fair deal but there is an exchange there's something being offered and i can only have one at the expense of the other i can't have both because he said if any man would follow me he must first deny himself I cannot hold on to my rights and to my wants and my desires and follow Him. I cannot have it both ways. He said that. I can go to church. I can be part of a ministry team. I can preach. But I can't follow Jesus if I haven't denied myself. It's His words. So I exchange my rights for His righteousness. I give up one to take on the other. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how we talked a few weeks ago about having healthy expectations. And I just want to talk a little bit more about that kind of stuff because... um, I feel like sometimes like people hear, you know, one either one side or the other, so they hear like, you know, don't have any expectations, then you'll never be let down. Well, that's ridiculous. You can't live your life without expectation. Expectation is proof of belief. If I believe you, then I have to have an expectation. Period. There's no way to say that I believe what you say without expecting something. Then the other side, it's like, well, I just walk around and I make expectations of people. If they don't meet my expectations, well, too bad for them. They will never, ever, I'll I'll just cut them out of my life. Because they didn't meet their expectations. They're not a person of integrity. They're not a person of honor. I know, I don't know why I'm doing that. My wife is just doing it to me. Yeah, we just like cut them off, right? She told me the other day, she's like, your hand motions have changed a little bit over time. I'm growing and evolving. Yeah. Being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, Dylan. So what I can't do is say that, like, I have a demand on you, and if you don't meet my demand, then I treat you less than loving. Like, that's the flip side of that coin. It's saying, it is perfectly okay for me to have an expectation of you, but what I can't do is let that expectation be the barometer for whether or not I treat you in a loving way. Because it's great for me to expect you to be a person of integrity, but it's horrible for me to let you not being a person of integrity let me treat you less than Christ treats me when I'm not a person of integrity. Because if I freely receive, then that means I have to freely give. The minute I stop giving, I've capped off how much I want to receive. Because it has to be continually flowing. In order to keep continually receiving, I have to keep continually giving. It can't just build up and get stagnant. It's not for no reason that you've received. You freely receive, now freely give. 
So I was just just thinking about that and thinking about like how many times there's been like unmet expectations and and just different response and stuff like that. So I I kind of always like to go back to the garden if I can. And I went back to the garden and I I started looking at God's response to sin. I'm looking at God's response to the first time that an expectation wasn't met. What did he say to them? What did he expect of them? He said, of all the trees in the garden, you can eat. Except one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So what is his expectation of them? Don't eat the tree. And for a while, they didn't eat the tree. And then all of a sudden, one day, Eve's walking along, and the serpent comes along and points out the tree. And it says, and she saw that the fruit of the tree was delightful to the eye and good for eating. See, a lot of times, something can be in your life, and it's no problem at all until the enemy comes and puts a finger on it and says, hey, what about this? And all of a sudden, for the first time ever, it's like you notice it. You have a decision right there in that moment. This is separate from this, but listen to me. The way that you defeat sin is the first time the enemy tries to point to something that you know is not for you. You don't actually sit and listen to him, and you don't keep looking at it, and you don't start thinking about what it would taste like. Because she says she saw that it was good for eating. How did she know it was good for eating? She never ate it before. She was told not to eat it. In her mind, she's imagining what it's going to taste like. That's the first step. Because now you have created in your mind something that tastes good. What if Eve would have looked at him the minute he said, what about this fruit? What if Eve would have looked at him the moment he said that and said, if God told me not to eat that, it's probably because that fruit is disgusting. Because he's a good father and wants good things for me and his rules are never for me to be kept without. His rules are always because the thing he's keeping me from is not good. What if she would have just looked at him and said, I have such a revelation of God's heart that if he told me not to... I'm not even going to look at that thing right now. Because I know what you're trying to do. But if he told me don't eat that, there's something wrong with that, not something wrong with him. What if she would have responded that way? That would have shut the door. There would have never again been a temptation for her to eat that because she would have resolved in her heart, if I'm not to eat that, it's because there's something wrong with that, not something wrong with God because He told me not to eat it. There's something in that. Even if it's something that one day is going to be a good thing. You know, it's like two fish swimming along, a dad and a sunfish. Sunfish, get it? And they see this cake. And, and, and well, everyone eats cake, Maurice. And they see this cake in the water, and the sun goes swimming towards it, and Dad says, Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen to me. That's cake. And that's really good. And cake, one day you'll eat a piece of cake. Let's say it's wedding cake. And he looks at it and he says, That's wedding cake. It's delicious. I ate that wedding cake when your mom and I got married. But that piece of cake right there has a hook in it. 
that cake is delicious, but if you eat it right now, you'll end up in a boat. Pretty soon you'll end up in a pan on someone's plate. There's a hook in that cake, son. When the cake that you're supposed to eat comes along, there will be no hook in it. There will be no string attached to it. You'll be able to eat it and eat as much as you want and never have to worry about what could happen. You'll never have to worry about the hook. You'll never have to worry about being snared. You'll never have to worry that you're going to end up in a boat. We've got to start talking to our kids this way and letting them know that cake is good. Only when in the time it's supposed to be eaten. Because otherwise, the dad says to him, cake's bad. Well, what happens when he talks to a friend who says cake's good? What happens when he goes out in the world and everything in the world is screaming that cake is really, really good? Who's he going to listen to? See, he may listen to dad in the moment, but after a while, he keeps meeting friend after friend after friend after friend, and they're not in a boat and they got cake on their lips. And he starts thinking, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it really isn't a snare. Maybe there's cake out there that doesn't have a hook in it that's not on my wedding day, but it's still good cake and I can have it and not suffer any consequences. Maybe there's a form of cake that I can eat now that I can only see with my eyes and imagine with my mind. And maybe that's good. And maybe that's okay. And maybe there's no hook in that. We've got to talk to our kids and let them know, listen, if I'm telling you that that's not good right now, it's not because it's not good. It's because it's not good outside of the reason it was created. The reason that you want to be with a woman, to be with a man, is because God put that desire inside of you and that's a beautiful thing. And you know what? It is not bad, it's not filthy, and it's not disgusting. It's actually beautiful. And you thank God that He put that desire inside of you, but you also thank Him that you're going to be able to save that desire to be used at the time that He says is right. And then you can have cake and there's no hook. There's no danger of ending up in a boat being filleted and put on a plate. And there may be many other versions out there, but none of them are good. Except one. We start talking like that. We start telling them, listen, if God told us not to do something, it's not because there's something wrong with God. It's because there's something wrong with that thing. Just trust me. There's a day coming that you'll be so thankful that you listened to me and you trusted God. Just trust me. So Eve sees it and she says she saw that it was delightful to the eyes and good for eating. So she's created this scenario in her mind where it's going to be good, it's going to taste good. And how does she know that? Because in her mind she imagined it would be. We never imagine things going badly. 
Not when the enemy's trying to lead us into something. We always imagine it the best way possible. You ever realize that? We look to the future and we see what God's promised and all we can think is what it, all, all the enemy's doing is going, no, 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 no chance. No, that's not going to happen. That's going to be bad, bad. But then when we look into the future and try to see the, the, the consequence of sin, the enemy's going, oh, no, that won't, no, that won't happen. No, that won't happen either. No, that'll be good. What? No. No, 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 no. This is good. This is a good thing. Why would you want to keep away from that? It's so crazy. It's like, that's why we have to look and see Him in the future. What's Jesus saying? What did the Father say? The Father said, don't eat of it because the day that I eat of it, I'll surely die. And He says to her, has He really said? What's He doing? The same thing He did to Jesus. Did God really say? Yeah, He said we can't eat or touch it. Or we'll surely die. No, He didn't. He said, don't eat it. He never said, don't touch it. So what's the devil do? I'm touching it. I'm not dead. My dad said that there's a hook in that cake. I'm eating it. You see any hooks in me? And all of a sudden, because Eve added to what God said, she opened herself up for deception. God never said, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. But none of that would have happened had she simply spoke the Word of God in return when He came to her with an accusation or a question. That's what Jesus did. If you really are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're really the Son of God, why are you hungry? If you're really out here in supernatural strength, how come you really are looking at those stones and thinking it'd be good to turn them to bread? Because it says he was tempted, which means that there was a thought that maybe he should do that. But yet he was without sin, which means he recognized that thought wasn't of the Father, wasn't good. He cast it down and he responds in truth. Just because you're tempted with something, just because you saw the cake on, there, on that thing doesn't mean that you've sinned. It just means that you've been tempted. Just because you know it's there doesn't make you wrong. Going and finding it does. Because Jesus was tempted in every way common to man, yet without sin, which means he knew it was there, the opportunity was there, the, the ability to do it was there, but yet he never took advantage of it, he never opened it, he never touched it, he never looked, he never did, he never said. And he never sinned. So Eve now is so far away from where the Father has called her to be. She's so far into the devil's land. She's made up things that God didn't say. She's made up thoughts in her mind that were not true, and yet this is all reality to her. And all that's left now is to act on this reality. Simple. Once you've imagined in your mind what it's going to taste like, once you've seen that you can actually touch it and not die, what else is left? But to go over, grab it, and eat it. so she does and then she gives to her husband why because people that are doing things always want other people to do things it's just natural you can find everything in human behavior and in the response of the father in those first three chapters i promise you the gospel is hidden in those first three chapters of the bible people that are into something always want someone else to be into it too always why because if I ate the fruit, I feel a little bit better knowing that you ate the fruit too, especially when there's only two of us. And it's like, <laughs> the entire human race ate the fruit. Sure, I did. 
right? Like, Eve, did you eat the fruit? Yeah, me and every other human alive. Because we feel better knowing that we're not the only ones. So we want to get someone else in it, so at least we know there's one other person. And if we don't get someone else in it personally, we take comfort knowing that there's stats that say there's millions of people that are doing the same thing we're doing. So, And now Adam and Eve have sinned, and now we get to see the way that God responds, the way that love responds to sin. The first thing, he went looking for man. He knew what happened, and yet he still went looking for us. So many times when someone does something, I'm just going to read this because this is what God was speaking to me this morning. I, I had a different message ready, and then at like 5.40 this morning, I woke up with this on my mind. I ran out into my living room, and I was writing out notes because I was like, well, I don't want to, I want to hear what he's saying. I want to catch it. And I was like, this is good, God. Someday I'll use this for a message. And I felt like it was supposed to be today. So I just want to read what I felt like he was saying this morning. He said, so many times when someone does something and we, we, and we find out, our instinct is to cut them off or avoid them. But God doesn't because he values relationship over convenience. It would have been easier for him to say, well, I trusted them and they blew it. If that's what they want, leave them to that cursed place. I've got Jesus and Holy Spirit and all the angels up here and they've never betrayed me. But he loved humanity so he couldn't. Love doesn't hide to protect itself. It becomes vulnerable and seeks out the lost. When he said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because Adam and Eve were lost in his sight. It was because he was lost in theirs. If he wasn't, they would have never ate the fruit. You cannot willingly sin when your eyes are on him. You can't. I promise you have to take your eyes off of him in order to sin. You have to. You cannot be looking at him, seeing Jesus, knowing him as he, is, as he can be known, and sin. You can't do it. You have to turn your eyes from him. He was saying, Adam, where are you? Because he wanted Adam to realize, Adam, you're lost. You've taken your eyes off of me. Second thing he did is he made clear what was wrong. If someone's done something to you, the godly response is seek them out. And once you seek them out, talk to them about what happened. Don't beat around the bush. Don't use examples. Don't use, what would you say if, and start with, you know, trying to, hoping that they stumble across the truth. Be direct. Be up front. Look them in the eyes and say, hey, this is what happened. Or this is what I saw. Or this is what I heard. What's going on? That's what God does. Did you eat the fruit? He doesn't beat around the bush and say, let me tell you a story about one time when there was these two people, we'll call them Saddam and Steve, and they were in this place called the Carden, and I told them not to eat the uh, cake, and no, he says, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? What have you done? Why? Because he's up front and he's direct. Why? Because he loves them and he wants to deal with this and get it put behind as fast as possible. He doesn't want it to drag on and he doesn't want to take a risk that they're not going to understand what he's talking about. So he goes to them and he says what was clearly wrong. Listen to me. Feeling betrayed by someone that betrayed you is not a sin. Feeling betrayed by someone that betrayed you is not a sin. Choosing to respond in a way anything less than God responded to our betrayal to Him is. 
And that's where you're going to be confronted sometimes with having to choose truth over feelings. Because I feel betrayed and my feeling says because I'm betrayed, I want to do something in response. And if what I want to do in response is not what God did in response to our betrayal to Him, it's sin. Period. Call it what you want. Get it justified by as many people as you want. Get as many people as you want to get on board and tell you what you did was okay. It does not change the fact that if my response to betrayal is not his response to my betrayal, it is sin. And it's not cute. And it's not a little thing. And it's not something that if I read a book that tells me it's okay to feel that way and act that way, then I'm okay to feel and act that way. I don't care because you can't find it in his book. Then he offers forgiveness and covers the sin from his end. And this is why I, I wrote this down. This morning is one of the original things that sparked this. Was God made a covering for them even though they already had their own. He replaced their leaves with his love. Why? Because even though they had a covering, they had made it. They were still ashamed to come before him. Because they made the covering and they weren't sure if he would, be accept, if he would accept them with their own covering. So he made a covering of his own that they would understand it was acceptable in his sight. When someone does something, our response should be when we know that they've done it to go to them and to let love cover a multitude of sin and to go to them and say, listen, I know this happened. I just want you to know I forgive you. I love you. And I will never again see that thing that happened when I look at you. That's how we make a covering the way God made a covering. Why? Have you ever noticed people that have done something wrong are afraid and ashamed to come around you a lot of times when they know that they've wronged you? Why? Even if they've made a covering for their sin, even if they've made leaves, even if they've made excuses and they've got leaves that cover them, they've made their own covering. Why? Because they know that they made that covering and they know then they're unsure of how you will accept them because they know that they made their own covering and maybe you won't accept the covering that they made. But when you go to somebody and you say, listen to me, I don't want you to hide from me. I don't want you to avoid me. I don't want when I walk in the room for you to turn your back and try to get out a different door. I love you. And I know that this happened, but I want you to know I forgive you. And I'm covering that. And I'm never again going to see that when I look at you. That's how you make a covering the way God made a covering. That's the godly response to sin. And it does not matter if they think they need it or if they accept it because God didn't say, I will give you this covering as long as you'll accept it. The animal died. Why did he have to kill an animal to do it? I think there was a bunch of reasons, covenant and all that stuff, but I also believe this. Because it actually cost him something to make the covering before he knew if they would receive it or not. It will cost you something to go and make covering. And there is no guarantee that when you go to them and make that covering that they're going to receive them, but it's worth it for the chance that they will. Because that was God's response to us. He thought it was worth it on the chance that we would. They don't even think they did something wrong. That's okay. You can still go and do something right. They haven't admitted. That's okay. It'd be good if they did. Because then they could start the process of actually recovering from this thing that they've done. But don't you dare let their inability to recognize what they did as wrong keep you from doing what is right. 
Otherwise, you'll be stuck there with them waiting for them to understand that what they did was wrong. Or you'll start trying to prove what they did was wrong to them, and that's even worse. They've never apologized. Did they apologize to God for what they did before He killed an animal and made covering for them? No. What was He saying to them in that moment? He was saying, listen, even if it costs me, I'm going to cover that because I love you and I don't want you to hide from me ever again. And I see that that covering of leaves that you made wasn't good enough for you to come into my presence, so I'm going to make something that is. And this way, on my end, on my end, as far as I'm concerned, the sin is covered. I feel like that's confronting some theology right now, and that's okay. Let it confront it, because God said, blessed are the peacemakers they will be called children of God, sons of God. That means I go in somewhere where there isn't peace and I make peace. How do I make peace? On my end, I've made a covering for that sin. I'll never again see you when I look at it. And you can now accept that covering and walk in the freedom that it offers or you can reject it and keep living with your own fig leaves with your own nakedness, and you can continue to be ashamed. and you Because when they're alone at night, they know what they've done. When they're alone with their thoughts, and they're away from their friends, and all the amening voices, and all the people telling them, that's right, you had every right, and blah, blah, blah. And if he did this, then I would that, and all that stuff. When they get alone with God, if they're born again, or if they're not, the Spirit of God is either convicting them, or He's showing them their sin, one or the other. The last thing, you can't make someone receive what you offer and they may do it again or worse, but you can't stop loving them and believing that one day they will see the truth and repent. Second Corinthians, we read 5.17 earlier, 19 continues, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's he saying? God made covering through Christ. Now we see that through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. What's he saying? On God's end, when Jesus died on the cross, everything that was required on his end for him not to see their sin and to accept them and for them to be accepted by him was, made for, was paid for by Jesus. It's done on his end. That's why the angels said on when Jesus was going to be born, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But notice the second half. So we beg... On behalf of Christ, we, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's something on their end that has to be accepted. And if God came and spent the life of, the son of, his, the life of his Son, Jesus Christ, to offer peace to people, yet there's people who live without that peace, then that means there's a very good chance that you may at some time go to somebody and offer them peace at your own expense, and they reject it as well. That's not your fault. And it doesn't change whether or not it's worth it. I may not feel like making peace in every situation, but I can't allow that to keep me from doing it. That's where this growth thing comes. 
That's where this choosing comes. That's where saying, you know what, in this moment, when I think about what they did, I don't feel like making peace. But God, I realize that You've called me to be a peacemaker. God, I realize that in the moment I did those things, the way that You responded is the way You want me to respond to You. So God, I'm going to go and make peace even though I don't feel like it in this moment. And I'm going to do what's right on my end, whether they ever receive it or whether they ever do what's right on their end. Because as long as it, is, as it pertains to You, do Your best to live at peace with all men. That's God's response. He sees it. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. He comes to them and He seeks them out. Don't cut them off. He addresses what happened very directly. He offers a covering. And He lets them decide if they're going to receive it or not. And he doesn't determine whether or not going and making the offer of covering was worth it based on their response. He already thought it was worth it before they had a chance to respond. Why? Because he's determined in his heart that he's going to, on his end, love. Whether we receive it and respond in love or not, he's going to do everything on his end to love. If we could be like that, then we'd be peacemakers where we actually don't just keep peace where there is peace, we make peace where there's a lack. There's chaos and turmoil. We get to step into it and actually create and make peace. There may be times, and and, and I, I need to read this too. There may be times when God calls you to shake the dust from your feet and move on. But that doesn't mean you stop loving them and close off the possibility of future relationship. It just means that this time He has called you somewhere else and it will never be with offense as a motive or reason. I'm just going to close up with that. Listen, this doesn't mean that there's never a time where you actually God calls you to separate yourself from somebody for a time. He told the disciples, he said, when you go there, release your peace. If they receive it, it will stay on their home. If they don't, take it back. Shake the dust from your feet and move to the next place. That doesn't sound really loving. It is because hopefully when they're gone, the lack of peace will make them say there was something here when they were here and I need that. And then they would go and find them and figure out what they were missing. And if you stay there and your peace stays there, they'll continue to live in rebellion to what you're saying and still experiencing the peace of God that you carry. And that's not good for them. And that's a hard word sometimes to hear. And I'm thankful that God doesn't call me to that very often, but the times He has, it's been really, really for my best, and I know it has to be for the person's best for me to be obedient. And I'm not offended. In fact, it's with tears. Can you imagine the disciples seeing that these people are rejecting the kingdom of God and that they're actually going to have to take that peace that they released and leave that home and know that there's going to be chaos there? Can you imagine how heartbreaking that had to be for them that moment when they knew God was saying, okay, it's time to shake the dust from your feet and move on. Can you imagine it wasn't through happiness, it wasn't through excitement, and it was with tears and probably with extreme sorrow that they actually said, okay, if that's how it's going to be, then why'd they have to shake the dust off? Because they didn't want them to take 
the rejection of that place with them to the next place. He wanted them to walk into the next place with their heart just as open and just as expectant that they would receive as they did when they came into that place and not take the rejection of this place with them to the next place. And hopefully his plan was that when the kingdom left and they realized what they were lacking, that they would go and seek and knock and ask and they would find open and have it given. Because it's always his heart to redeem and restore. Always. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the I thank you for the book of Genesis. I do. I haven't thanked you enough for that lately. I just thank you for your word. I thank you. We can see your heart towards us and, and how you dealt with, with, with us in the garden. I thank you. You're a God who pursues and finds and doesn't cut off and separate. I thank you that you speak straightforward with us, God, that you're not a God of riddles. I thank you. You're quick to point out what was done. You're quick to make a way of escape and you're quick to cover with your love. God, I ask that we would be the same way with people. God, I thank You that if there's anything in our lives right now that we know we need to address, if there's any relationship, God, if there's anything that was done, if there's anything that we know in our hearts we need to address, God, that we would not sleep, that we would go and that we would make a peace offering, God. Whether it's received or not, we leave that in Your hands. But as far as on our end, God, that we make an offering of covering because of love. Not because we have to, but because we get to, because we've been forgiven by You. And everything we freely receive, God, I pray that we would freely give. In Jesus' name, amen.